I'm going to need your help in preaching the message. Now, here's the deal. In the way that we're set up, oftentimes in our culture, the pastor or the teacher stands for the majority of the message and the church folk get to what? They get to sit. That's a really good gig. To, to be able to sit back when somebody up here has to sweat under the lights and all that. But I'm going to need your help at the beginning of the message. And trust me, it's not too hard. So if you don't mind, just all over the room, if you can, will you stand to your feet this morning? What Joy said this morning echoes in my heart. Who's just ever been angry at the devil? Now, your fight not, is not against the devil, so don't run to him on your own terms and ability and try to fight him because I want to tell you, friend, I tried and I lost. But when you go on the terms of a God living in you and you say, in the name of Jesus, enough is enough, I'm going to put his foot down because he is in me and I am in, 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 in him. I'm a joint heir with Jesus. Something's going to change and shift in my life. I'm not going to put up with his mess for too long. Amen? Because something is happening on the inside of me. Somebody shout this morning, he's on the boat. Now, I need you to say it like he's actually in the room. See, what we don't see is we don't see the spiritual layers. The Bible says where two or three are gathered in the midst in his name, he is among us this morning. He's not distant, just sitting at the right hand of the Father, although he is seated there. He lives on the inside of us. Who agrees today that Jesus is in the room? And when Jesus in the room is in the room, things begin to shift and things begin to happen. So I'm going to need your help at the beginning of this, and you won't be standing long, I, I, I think. Um, we'll see what the Lord does. But I'm going to give some excerpts here in just a moment, and if you agree with it, you'll know exactly when. You're just going to shout, he's on the boat. So let's warm up right now. Can you shout with me, he's on the boat? Now, here's the deal. The Bible says that it's in him that we live and that we move and that we have our being. The problem in life is some of us just stop moving. So we're wondering why God has not let yet caught up. Oh, he already has caught up because he's in on the inside of you. You're saying, Pastor, I couldn't move. I was flat on my back. Oh, you can still move, my friend. There, there is a movement that can take place in your life, and we're going to look at that through this entire morning. Move your feet with me this morning and just shout, he's on the boat. When the wind picks up in your life and it's hitting you on every side, gales and gusts are pressing against you in ways that they never have. You have fear, you have insecurity, you have doubt. Where is he, Merrimack Heights Church? He's on the boat. Amen, I would agree. When the waves pick up, as they did with the disciples, they were invited on the journey and they're out in the middle of the sea at the time. And the Bible says that the waves begin to come up over the side and it begin to fill with water. So in your life, when you're in the storm and the vessel that you're on is filling with water and it feels that you will sink, how many of you are not going to give up in this church? Why, Merrimack Heights? Because he's on the boat. When you're feeling seasickness in your gut, in the spirit, who's ever just been dizzy and numb spiritually? It's like you don't feel anything. The saints of God get up there and they're like, I felt it in worship. I felt it when I gave. I felt it when the gifts were being exercised. I felt the love on the parking lot. I felt it in the... Some of you are like, I didn't feel anything today. But when you don't feel anything, church, where is he? Oh yeah, he's on the boat in your seasickness. When everything in you says, you know what, bail now, jump over the side, the boat is filling with water, you can swim back to the safety of the shore where you feel the softness of the sand on the bottom of your feet. You're not going to jump. You're not going to give up. You're not going to swim back to shore. Why, Merrimack Heights Church? Because you're on the boat. When everything in you says jump off now, because here's the deal. The distance behind you is not quite as far as the distance in front of you. You feel sometimes stuck in the middle of the sea, and you question, why would God put me here? Matter of fact, some of you just throw this card. It's the devil. It's the devil. I'm in a storm. It's getting windy. It's getting tough. I better pray the devil out of it. Don't pray the devil out of something that Jesus might be in the middle of. Why Merrimackites Church? Because he's on the boat. The reality is if we could just remember that he's on the boat when you've, when you've 
felt or you're feeling a little bit lonely because everybody didn't move off the shore, it is beckoning. And you're traveling farther and farther and farther on journey with Jesus. And you question why more didn't get in the boat with you. You're not going to give up. Why, Merrimack Heights Church? Because he's on the boat. Listen to me. I'm not going to abandon the structure that Jesus has called me on by his invitation and said, hey, we're going to the other side. I don't know about you, but I'm destined to make it. I don't know about you, but I'm determined to make it. I was thinking this morning, no dilemma, no disappointment, no discouragement. Shall we go a little bit farther? No demon and no devil is going to keep me by the invitation of Jesus of crossing over to the other side when he said I can have it. And the only thing that we have to do this morning, church, is hang on. Can somebody shout, he's on the boat this morning? Now you can be seated If you can, this morning, the believer we learned last week has Jesus living on the inside of of them. Here's the deal. The disciples had Jesus on the boat, and they had questions. The disciples had Jesus on the boat. Jesus is the one that said, take the journey. They didn't say, hey, Jesus, will you come with us? No, Jesus says, we're going to go on to the other side. These men on the boat have entered into not just the main vessel, but the Bible says there's small boats surrounding them. We said last week, there was a caravan of boats out here with Jesus. And they're on this journey with Jesus. And these are people that attended two services. You'll remember that. They would go to the service with the multitudes and they would hear that message. Then they were privately tutored in small groups, sometimes groups of 12, sometimes groups of three, sometimes groups of one. They were tutored by Jesus. And in this moment, the only thing that comes out of them in the middle of this tumultuous storm that had reared up in the middle of the sea When Jesus, the Bible says, is on his pillow asleep, this is what comes out of them. Don't you care? Somebody shout he's on the boat. Now, here's the thing that I thought of as I was rightly dividing scripture and even working through this in my own life this week is I have challenges much like the challenges that you have. If he is on the boat with me, can somebody shout a little bit? I'm going to be okay. I might not feel okay, it might not look okay, it might not sound okay, the the, the cards might seem to be stacked against me, but if Jesus is on the boat, can somebody in the room testify, you're going to make it. If Jesus is on the boat and this thing goes down, I don't know about you, but Jesus is my flotation device. If, if that is the cataclysmic events that happens in my life, that the boat goes down. Do you remember when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter finally jumps out of the boat? We're like, who's this Peter guy? He jumps out of the boat. He's drowning. Well, at least he jumped over the side. Would you rather sit and laugh at the man who's drowning in the, in the water? Or would you rather be one that had the guts and the grit to jump over the side and said, it's Jesus? I think, who would you rather be? It's easy even in churches today. We have people that are kind of sitting in the boat. Jesus said, get out of it where I am, but we struggle with it because it doesn't make sense in the natural. Why? Because you've never walked on water, but who knows he can walk on water. So if the man that walks on water is living on the inside of you, there's gonna be some things that that well up in your life that don't make sense that just fall under this category. His ways are so much far beyond yours. And his intellect is so far beyond yours. And sometimes our intellect gets in the way and it aborts the plan that God has for us. Because we would never say, God, God, I don't think that your ways are are lower than mine. I know you're, you're the smartest God that's out there. But yet our behaviors will sometimes show that. I don't know about you, but if the thing goes down, Jesus is my flotation device. And before, listen, listen to this, before Sandra Bullock was even born, I'm buoyant with Jesus and hope floats, amen? <laughs> hope floats. One of the things I appreciate about the church and the saints of God, and what I mean by saint is, is, a, is, a, is a right rendering, because you can be in the faith a long time and not be a saint. And what I mean by that, saint is never perfection. Saint knows what to do when the storm comes. 
So we have many that have been in church for years, but when the storm comes, they don't know what to do. They're treading water, flailing like everybody else, trying to, matter of fact, they're, they're, they've jumped the boat and they're putting more water on the boat with their fear and with their flailing. But when I wanna tell you the saints of God are those who have learned to handle the storm because he is on the boat. What do you do, Merrimack Heights Church, with an expectation lost? I'm learning this in my own life, in the middle years of my life, that if I'll stay on the boat long enough, the suffering will be worth it. Some of us want to jump and swim to safety. But I want to remind you of something. If you're swimming to the point that Jesus isn't, that's not safe. You are taking a greater risk bailing in the storm if Jesus said be on the boat. So what we have to understand, if we will stay in it long enough, the suffering will be worth it. And one day, and it might not be today, and I can't even put a time frame on it. It might not be next month. Some of us are like, when will this thing lift? I don't know. But here's the thing. If you stay in it long enough, one day you will look back to the other side and you will see that it didn't have greater value than the breakthrough that's on the other side. If I will hang on to it, somebody shout, hang on this morning. Now, if you hang on, let me give you some scenarios and situations. If you hang on, it doesn't mean there won't be pain on the boat. If you hang on, it doesn't mean that there won't be fear on the boat. If you hang on, it doesn't mean that the F4 storm won't rise up in the middle of it. If you hang on, you will have some scars when you get to the other side. Jesus did too. If you hang on during the storm, oh, you will have some stories to tell on the other side. If you hang on when it doesn't make sense and it seems like, man, I'm losing more friends than I'm gaining hanging on in the middle of the storm. But if you hang on, who knows, on the other side, there is breakthrough and the Lord will replenish into your life. If not, use you to bring more friends onto the other side of the shore. You just got to hang on. I'm preaching to somebody. The Holy Spirit told me last night, I'm preaching to somebody in the room. You just have to hang on. You just have to hang on. I, I was watching, this was, this was I'll, I'll use the word insane. I was watching, I, I don't remember what the deal was called. It was like a hang glider apparatus. I don't know if you saw this on, on Facebook this week. This individual, this instructor goes to jump off a 4,000 foot cliff. That's up there. I've climbed half down about 8,200. That's about halfway up. And as they jump off, they realize the candidate that is flying with them, the paying customer was not clipped in. Oh yeah, that's what, that's what I thought. And you're like thinking, you're like, I don't even know, I don't even want to watch. They're going to fall to their death. This person coaches them through it hand in hand in tandem. They work together to make it to the bottom with very minimal injuries. I want to tell you today when it feels like you're not clipped in, I want to tell you when it feels like I feel, and, and in the video, you'll see it. I feel like I've, I've just got the thigh. I, 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 Brian, I feel like this is the point that I'm going to let go. I want to remind you today that he will never let go of your hand, although it feels awkward and it feels strange and it feels like you're being surrounded on every side. I want to remind you of a song that we sing here at Mamakites. When you are surrounded, you're surrounded with him. You're surrounded with his presence. You're surrounded with his mercy. You're surrounded with his love. Don't throw in the towel. Don't let go. Hang on to him. What do you do with an expectation lost? You'll remember I'm giving excerpts. I have to for where we're going today out of the unction and power of the Holy Spirit. Last weekend, we talked about the classroom. The classroom is when Jesus is teaching these individuals and, and it's book knowledge stuff. There's nothing wrong with book knowledge stuff. Some of us have not graduated into the next opportunity that God has for us because we wouldn't get in the book. But the classroom, and I'm not talking about theories of God because this is not theory, but a piano book will have what's called theory classes. And it'll teach you the truth of what middle C is. It'll teach you the truth of what a B is. It'll teach you the truth of, of what a C sharp is. It's truth. And some of us are in the classroom and we're in theory. So we're in theory class. We're, we're learning how to navigate through things that are going to happen in our life, or maybe you're in the classroom and simultaneously you're in the book. 
but, but you don't stay in the classroom. Does anybody remember biology class? So you're in the classroom and, and you're, you're studying the, the white pages with the black text and it's very theoretical, it's very, it's very one-dimensional, but all of a sudden you got to go into the laboratory and in the laboratory what happens? Dissection. I don't know if it was the squid or the cow's eye or, or what it was you were able to do. You might want to holler back if there was something there that you got to dissect. But who would agree there is another level of excitement from the classroom teacher talking to the laboratory where we are starting to see the inner workings of the thing. And I want to walk you through what I believe is a spiritual process because oftentimes we are reading and we are studying in theory. We are studying the truths just like music notes. If you want to harmonize with Jesus, live in his book. If you don't want to sing sharp or flat, live in his book. If you're saying, I'm going to jump into this thing and I'm going to never make a mistake, well, then you're thinking that you're never going to have a sharp note or a flat note, but can somebody testify that you're thankful that he's with you when you're sharp and he's with you when you're flat, that he will walk with you and he will encourage you and he will help you and he will not give up on you. But the the theory can become flat and, and theoretical and things don't seem to lift off the page. But once you move into the laboratory, what you've learned in theory is now exposed to the underlayment of what's below. Who's ever got to cut in with that scalpel? And you know that thing has a heart or you know that thing has this or that, and now what you learned in theory, you have to go find. And oftentimes, that's what the laboratory is. But, but in my biology class, the, the squid didn't get up and swim away. For what I was working on was what? It was dead. I mean, Jesus likes the live you because he breathed the bara of God, the breath of God in you. But then he told you you had to die. Some of us want to be in the laboratory of God alive. God says, no, you've got to die to yourself. You have to die to your opinion of the storm. You have to die to what you think. You have to die to what you want to say. Do not say that. Say what the Holy Spirit is showing you. The classroom, the laboratory, when I moved from the, the, the text, the white pages, the, the black lettering, it, it was flat. But when I moved into the laboratory, there was another level of life. There was something else happening, but who understands for some of us, it doesn't stay in the laboratory. In the laboratory, things change. The rules even change. But if I just stay at the laboratory, I might miss it. I want to tell you there is another step. Outside of the laboratory, some of us have been through it, is known as what is called the practicum. And the practicum is where you get to serve somebody or you get to observe somebody that's really, 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 really good. Who's ever been around somebody that is really, 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 really good at what they say or what they do? And you're not like giving them opinion right now or what? You just sit back and you're like, I'm going to observe this. I've been in many moments of my life. I could give moments in my life with people like you in this church that are gifted well beyond my giftings and abilities in in areas. And I've been able to sit back and think, wow. A practicum is a moment where you begin to observe. So I move from the classroom into the laboratory. If I'm a medical student, I move into what is called this practicum, and that is where I am learning from what was experimented with in the lab. Isn't that interesting? I was working back here on the dead thing, but it propels me forward into now a shadowing. Who would just like to shadow Jesus? We'll get around anointed people that are serving the Lord and make sure that they're anointed, not just by talk, but the inner workings of their life. Examine them. Well, I just love Jesus. I can preach, brother. Well, awesome, but can you love people off stage? You can get a lot of people that can preach, but can you love me off stage? I'll tell you what, man, I can flow in the prophetic. But if you flow in the prophetic, on Sunday and live in the pathetic Monday through Saturday, something's not right with your life. So be, who aware, be very aware of who's prophesying into your circumstances. Shall I say this? Be, be very aware of those who are speaking life into your circumstances. 
But I go through this practicum, and it's a wonderful time because I get to shadow and I get to watch, and some of them look differently than others. But here's the deal. An internship means these things have to go live because I'm going to be moving into a practice. Yet the intern still will work mostly on a cadaver, which is a dead thing, than a live specimen. Some of us in life are wanting to help people and love people, and we feel like we can move them to the next level. Well, what about moving your own life to a next level? Where are you at? So I wanted this, I wanted that, the other. I want to start with examining you. What does what your devotion to God look like? Well, I really want to prophesy over you. I haven't read my Bible in about 60 days, but I've got something good. Well, I'm sorry. I'm just worried the opinion of yourself will come out over the all-seeing eye of God. So I'm not saying there's a quota. I'm just saying when we walk with him and when we talk with him, it's going to radiate out of who we are and what we do. And all of a sudden we're living in what is called this internship because God wants us, I believe, to have our own practice. I've told you a little bit about my story. I think my first message, 12 or 13, when I was standing on this stage, it was the Sunday night crowd because a lot of times there were less on Sunday night. So my dad gave me that service and he let me preach. And my first message at Merrimack Heights Church, some of you might remember it, was be a hammer. The points were stale. They were embarrassing now that I look. Point number one, be a hammer because it hits the nail on the head. But it was my prop. And I learned that if Jesus used pictures and stories, then maybe I could use pictures and stories. And, and over time, through, through classroom work, you know what laboratory was for me and practicum was for me? It was going to hospitals and watching my dad pray over them as they graduated into their existence with Jesus and sometimes not in existence with Jesus. It was watching my dad go into places and love on people when it wasn't easy, when it was uncomfortable. He didn't know it, but I know it now. It was watching my dad love people that weren't loving him back behaviorally, but it didn't stop him from going. It was my practicum. My practicum led to a laboratory, and and I'm telling you today, I'm nothing other than by the grace of God, he's built me up. I, I had to sit in a classroom. I had to listen to the text. I had to listen. I had to go to preaching classes. I had to do all this stuff. I had to get a proper theology. I had to understand church doctrine. You you don't just throw somebody up there and say, say anything. We hold to the tenets of faith, to the doctrines of faith. But I understand this, when I left the shore, and I'm still going to reach my other side, I'm not there yet, Merrimack Kites Church. Let me tell you what, there's been a ton of storms. How many of you in this room have walked through a ton of storms? I don't know where you are on your journey. I know uh, occupationally what I get to do and what I see the Lord doing in the church right now, and he's doing phenomenal things, but he's also prophesied forward where he wants us to be. And how many of you trust and know that it's going to be good with Jesus? Somebody shout, he's on the boat. What do you do with an expectation lost? How many of you give me just a few more minutes this morning? For anyone called the ministry, and I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit land that one. For anyone called the ministry, I'm not going to tell you if you are or not, but I'm going to give you one thing that I've learned through studying this. For anyone called to ministry, ministry starts in the book. We could take it back to the story. Don't tell me you could give a bunch of great godly counsel if you haven't spent a great time in the word of God. So it starts in the book. Don't, don't graduate from the book. But it's lived out in real life situations. Meaning... We are sitting here today, and we are looking at words. We are listening to stuff. Can somebody testify? Just look at your neighbor and say, I'm in the classroom. This is theory. It's theory. Not theory as in, oh, you mean this maybe it didn't happen? No, because that's bad church doctrine. The theory is the music note. A middle C is a middle C, and it will always be a middle C. You can't make an F a middle C because a middle C is a middle C. You can't change it. God is always God. He changes not. You can't make God into a little G God of what you want him to be. He will always be a big G God. 
He will never be a little F God. He will never be a B flat God. He'll never sing sharp. He'll never sing flat. He'll always be a natural God who is the self-existence one. He has always been and always will be. Amen, church? Brian, I don't understand that. That's because you're human. He's God. What do you do with an expectation lost? What do you do with that? How do you wrestle with that? Ministry starts with the great book, but it's lived out in real life situations. Colossians chapter one, verse 24. Let me read from the word of God today. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And the church shouted, amen, because everybody wants to suffer. And fill up, because we like the fact that he's rejoicing in his sufferings toward us. We don't like to rejoice so much when we're the ones suffering. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Can I remind you? that part of the process for the life of the believer to fulfill the word of God is for us to walk through suffering. Somebody shout suffering. If you're ready to move from the classroom, the place of theory, into the laboratory, a place of great experimentation, into the practicum, a place of observation, over into the land of an internship where there's some hands-on experience, into a practice Some of us like the theory of Jesus, but we don't want to practice of Jesus. That would be like the medical student paying all this price over here to go to medical school, but then saying, now we have to go hands-on, and I'm not sure. Some of us have sat theory after theory, classroom after classroom, service after service, small group, life group, big group, small group, conference, camp, Filled with the theory of his word that we think we know will work, but he knows you need a life practice in Jesus. I've got to take it live. I've got to take it to where the broken are. I've got to take it to where the broken are. Somebody wrap your mind around this. In the middle of my brokenness, Jesus didn't fix you when he was all put together. Jesus fixed you when he was broken and bled. That's when he became the atonement, the propitiation for your sin is when he was hanging on Calvary's cross. The cross is a great picture of our life in him. Who's thankful that you don't have to hang on one today? Because he did, but who's thankful also that he said, go ahead and pick yours up. Pick yours up, which means I'm gonna face some things. If you wanna graduate into a life practice with Jesus, If you want to graduate into that realm or that mode, I just want to give you these words of encouragement. Brace yourself. If you want to see your family bring healing to Jefferson County or St. Louis County, wherever you live, if you really want to see that, if you want to see your kids that are standing up on stage or sitting in small groups or touched by the fire of God at camp, if you really want to see them impact an area, let me tell you something, brace yourself. If you, I'm going here. If you want to be a dynamic duo, lethal weapon couple in the hands of a living God who will use you everywhere you walk, everywhere you talk, can I shout something to you this morning? Brace yourself because you won't get it without a storm. Can I say you won't get it without a storm or two or 10 or 25 or 50? Well, Brian, how many storms do I have to walk through? Uh, Let's see, all throughout the word of God, as many as he chooses for my life. I wish I got to tap out of everything and everyone that I I wanted to, but I can't. Let me say this. Let Let me go to medical terms just for a moment. And I'll, I'll break this down. An inoculation is to the body what suffering is to the spirit. Let me say that again. Inoculation is to the body, is to the flesh. We could say is to the spirit what suffering or is to the body what suffering is to the spirit. Meaning this, if you endure the point of inoculation in the physical, you will build up an endurance or an immunity. 
Now, let me walk you through this this morning. Who in the room's ever been vaccinated? Okay, been vaccinated. Maybe you haven't. That's okay. If you've been vaccinated, you've been inoculated. What does that mean? That means they put part of the pathogen or antigen in your body. They what? Oh, yes, they did. They put a small dosage in that, and then your body went to work to fight that small dosage off. Who's thankful that they didn't put too much in you? Just a small dosage. Look at your friend and say, just a small dosage. It was just a small part of the bacteria, but that small part of the bacteria allowed your body to fight that thing off in a small dose. Inoculation is to the flesh what suffering is to the spirit. Now watch this. I am not saying that since you have walked through a little windy gale or a storm in your life and that one's over, that means you've built up an immunity so you never have to walk through another one. Who knows, that would be anti-Bible. It's the great hope of some in the church, but they're immature saints. I don't get to pick what I walk through. Now, some of it I do. The bad stuff that I walk through that is my fault, I can't blame that on God. I remember a day, it hasn't been too long ago, three, three years ago, I remember days that Joy's like, you got to stop drinking so much Coke. I love Coke, people. Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola, the, yeah. Which was sold in pharmacies first, if you, take, if you trace it back, the history. Somebody bought the patent, sold it to us, and man, that stuff is powerful. So I just drank it a lot. And I would tell her, I'm like, I usually just drink it on Sunday afternoons. That's like my, that's my gift to myself for preaching. She's like, you don't just drink it on Sunday afternoons. So what happened with the, with the Coke for me post 40? Well, I started packing on the pounds. So with what I thought was the blessing came the weight that started some other complications in my health. Well, when I go meet with my heart doctor, what do you think he asks? What's your sleep look like? Okay, you're preaching, you're doing some other things, man. You're working a lot of hours. What's your rest look like? What are you drinking? What are you eating? Some of us feel like we're in a storm health-wise because it's God's fault. If I'm slamming down too much Coke, it's my own fault. So I, I, become, the, I become the problem in my own problem, right? Now watch this. When I am walking through life with Jesus, and again, I'm not portraying that you're immune to suffering because you've been through some things, but I do know this. I am quite sure that your spirit, if you have not been in the word of God, walking with him, talking with him, I am quite sure in the spirit, if we could rank it, that your spirit could not just handle a category F4 storm to come through. You'd be sidetracked. You'd be sucked up in that thing. You'd be jumping off the boat when you should have stayed on the boat. We're talking about spiritual things. So oftentimes, God will allow little things to come our way to prepare us for the big thing that's down here that he sees but we don't know. So I ask you today as great students in the word of God, in theory, what do you do with the small storms? It's a small storm. You have the ability to talk about somebody or not talk about them. It's just a breeze. It's that not that big of a deal, but, but the gale begins to pick up a little bit, and the Holy Spirit's saying, do not respond. Do not respond. Do not respond. Get out of the conversation. Get out. What do you do with the, the small storms? Well, I mean, Lord, it's not. Yes, you're right, Lord. I haven't, I haven't read the Bible in 90 days plus. I came to an altar and I said, Lord, I will read it for the next 30 days. Help me, Lord God. I just don't feel like it. The day was really difficult. How many of you have used that excuse long enough? The greatest deterrent of you rising to the occasion and being everything that God called you to be, I would guess, is going to be time. And your reply is this, I just don't have the time. Whoever did anything great that never had the time? Think of the great baseball players that have sent it over the wall. Think of the individuals who have the most 
stolen bases. Think of the individuals who have taken companies over, many of them Christian people, and they have worked and they had put in the time and they've, they've used their talents. And on days that they wanted to be sawing logs or taking more vacation than they should have, they stayed focused to where they were in the season and God began to grow the thing in their life. Time is one of our greatest deterrents. The saints of God should never say they do not have time because it's a poor excuse. The saints of God should pray the prayers of scripture. Oh, Lord, renew my time. Show me the thing that I'm putting time into that I shouldn't be putting time into. Show me the thing, Lord, that you have called me to. Graduate me out of the classroom, Lord, because I want to practice in you. Amen, church? Help me, Lord. If I want to handle the bigger storms in life, I only do that with the Lord's help. I understand it, but oftentimes these storms come in much smaller doses. If you and I avoid all suffering, if we teach our kids, be like mom and dad, avoid all suffering at all costs. You're a kitchens and kitchens don't suffer. Well, first of all, my dad never told me that. He said, well, here's a few scriptures about suffering. It's one of the things I was talking to somebody the other day. It's one of the things that I really appreciate about my parents. My parents are very celebratory of of the kids and the grandkids, but they're never over the top. In other words, in my greatest victory and greatest defeat, I've had champions in my corner. Get back up. Be it, that, that's why, watch the process, watch my mother, after almost every service, unless she's ministering to somebody else, she will walk up here and she will say, great job, son. Sometimes I want to stop her, say, turn around, mom, are you serious? I felt that one was a little sharp or flat. What is that doing? Encouraging me on the good days, on the not so good days. Are you thankful that you have somebody on the boat that will encourage you on the good days and bad days? Are you thankful when you go to God and he's right there curled up in his pillow, as scripture says, and you say, don't you care? Is somebody thankful that he's got enough gusto to stand up and say, peace be still, and he rebukes the storm, but then he comes over and questions you? So I'm gonna rebuke the thing that you think's gonna take you out. I'm going to rebuke the thing that you have so much fear that you had to come wake me up. I'm on the boat with you. I've been teaching you in secret. I've been tutoring you. I'm, on, I'm going to go ahead and rebuke that thing because you're so focused on that. You've lost. So I'm going to rebuke that so I can deal with you. I'm rebuking that, but boy, I've got some questions for you. Some of us tap out of that. Why would you, why would you run from the questions of God? I got some questions for you, boy. What, Joy's right. Why, why are you drinking so much of that? And you want to be healthy and strong to do the will of my father. Why, why are you this? Why are you that? Because when God questions you, it's not because he hates you. If God will rebuke the storm and spend some time with you in private to ask you some questions, some leading questions, he wants to show you that he wants to help you get to the other side of the problem. Let's turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Anybody taking notes this morning? The Lord might drop something into your spirit, so I encourage you if you kind of feel a jump. It's like, okay, maybe I should. Oh, you know what? I encourage you even if you don't feel a jump, write a few things down. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure what, Merrimackites? Hardship, the thing none of us want to walk through. Even the saints of God do not want to walk through hardship. You must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may be pleased with him who enlisted him as a, that, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When we endure and we trust the Father in the storm, the storms of life, when you're disappointed and you're discouraged and you're depressed 
But when you endure the storm and you endure the struggle and you allow God to help you to rebuke the storm, question you, do you know that you are pleasing the Father? Some of you are like, if the Father's so pleased with me, why doesn't he just get rid of these storms? This week, I want you to think of the top three to five storms in your life. And I want, I want you to think of where you would be without them. Sometimes a storm wakes you up that some things need to change. Sometimes a storm wakes you up and says, God, I've been a little bit stale in my faith. I, I won't get to the other side with the, the juice that I had over. I don't know if you've ever had to wrestle with this. God, the milk of the word won't do it for the storm I am. I need some meat to chew on. And what does the Lord do? He's not like a mama bird who comes and fills my belly. He's like, then, then get in the text. Know it. I've said this often. Some of us are trying to figure out how do we overcome habitual sin in our life? Well, we go to small group. I went. For three months, it was better, and then I fell back into the trap. I committed, Pastor Brian, I committed that I was going to go to church at least 25 times last year. I was going to hit it about halfway through. I did it. Still have sin in my life. I went over to one of the local bookstores, walked in, number one bestseller on how to get over. I bought it. I went through the whole thing, took notes, highlighted the whole thing. Practice some of those things. But I still have the sin. Can I give you something this morning that's beyond all those things you've tried? Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Great, now it takes work. Well, if you want the tentacles of the thing that's in you to be pulled out of you, yes. You've got to have some ammunition beyond your own or the wise words of philosophers of the day that are even hidden in today's church. You've got to have something that will withstand the storm. If you want sin to stop in your life, hide the word of God in your life. That way when the tempter comes, it won't be like, God, I just pray my way out of this. You'll have something to say that's of the, war, of the one living on the inside of you. Give me just a few more minutes. The Bible says that it's through this individual who is struggling, who is walking through some things. It's saying to this individual, soldier, don't get engaged in the affairs of this world. Do you know why we want the storm to come off of us? Because we have too much of the world attached to us. Oh God, the storm's coming, the storm's coming. Protect my house, protect my house, protect my house. Oh God, I forgot I've got some kids living in it too. Protect my kids, protect my dog, my lab, protect them. The goldfish, God, protect my stuff. God, that car over there is brand new, deductible on that thing. Lord, protect affairs of this world. A lot of the prayers that we pray are to protect things that the moth and rust are going to destroy. We've talked about it before and that people are going to fight and argue over if we don't have a good plan when we're gone. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look forth in his wonderful face. That's not the good part. That's good. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When I'm in the middle of a storm and I have my eyes on Jesus, I'm not so concerned about the house or the stuff. When I'm in the middle of a storm and I've got my eyes focused on Jesus and I've even had to work through it and, and I had, like Paul said, I had to buffet my body to beat it into submission because I wasn't treating it as the vessel that God said and, and I had to do that and I still have to do this. And if I'm in the middle of the battle or the middle of the storm, I don't have to worry about my health. I just turn my eyes on Jesus. You might have to turn your eyes on Jesus and still have the chest pain. You might have to turn your eye on Jesus and still feel some things not right in your body. But here's the deal. If you will detach yourself from the affairs and cares of the things on the earth and you say, God, in the, you know where Jesus will take you in the middle of the storm? Right there in the eye. You know what happens in the center of the eye of the storm? Great peace. 
Everything on the outside. Person standing in the middle with Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord. Just a few minutes ago, I got mad at you because you're on the pillow sleeping. Thanks for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed that thing to spin out into no man's land so that you can sit here and deal with me right now, Lord. There's some people in this room under the sound of my voice, those that might be watching online, you would move to a whole nother level in Jesus if you would just answer the questions that he's asking to you. They're not mean-spirited, it's God. They're not trying to trap you, he's trying to help you. He's trying to love you to the other side. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm an enlisted soldier. Yeah, so I flip from the cares of the world. Let me say this. The, the preacher, I, I, sit in the, I sit in the message and the preacher shares three ways to be blessed in the here and now. I'm living in the now and horrible. I don't know about the here and now. But that message never materialized in your season. Maybe it even metastasized. And it seems that discouragement has spread throughout your entire body. Can I preach some things this morning? The worship band plays and they do a phenomenal job, but your heart is still not moved. You drop a 20 in the offering plate, but the pain in your heart still remains. You hope for a better life, but yet you nod off more nights than not, wondering what I could have done differently to be in a better place. I want to give you some encouragement this morning. Realize today that suffering is sometimes what God uses in our life to get us to the other side. I think of the disciples where Jesus is the one that gave them invitation. So don't worry about the master that gave you invitation. He's the master of ceremonies. Just be willing to endure and walk through everything that happens from shore to shore. Trust him. I, I, like, I like what David shows us in Psalm 56. Would you agree with me that David went through some storms? David had been surrounded by his enemies. I know we have a bunch of bad men here at Merrimack Heights Church, so we're tough. But David had moved to this place where he was surrounded by men. He was surrounded by enemies on every side. Meaning, scripturally, as we study that, he was hemmed in. Our our modern-day vernacular would be cornered. Have you ever been cornered before or cornered something else? David was cornered. And, And in that moment, David had a lot of struggle. He had a lot of stuff, as many of you in this room do. And the church shouted, amen. Yet he was a man after God's own heart. He was quick to repent, but sometimes quick to mess up. But but I love the rendering of Psalm 56, 8, and 9. You number my wonderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Wouldn't it be cool to get to the Lord and say, hey, can I I get my tear bottle when you get to heaven? David's psalm is capturing, poetic, capturing my tears. Are they not in your book? Question. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Can somebody shout, God is for me. You number my wonderings, God. You put my tears this week, this month, this decade into a bottle. God, aren't they still in your book? God, I cry out to you. And when I cry out to you, it seems as though my enemies turn back. But this one thing I know, Lord. I love when David says like this because there's a lot I don't know. But if I can find some things that I do know that have some real leverage in my life spiritually, this verse right here just popped off the page. I was in the laboratory with God over the scripture this last week. He moved me into a practicum with God with this script. He moved me into an internship with God. This one thing I do know standing before you today, Merrimack Heights Church, is we move forward in what God has called us to do. God is for me. Some of you just need to get up in the house and you need to walk around in the house because your home's going through a struggle and you remind the kids, God's for us. Remind the dog, God's for us. Remind the vehicle that's not running properly, God's for us. Remind the house that it's tough to make the payment sometimes, God's for us. Remind the circumstance, cover gets bare. I know that you are for me. 
Get another bad report from the doctor, blood pressure's high. I know that you are for me. You just put new tires on the car. You're driving down the road, and there's a nail. It busts that out. You didn't get the little warranty over there. And you're like, I, I know that you are for me. What would happen if a church would wake up and say, God, these storms that I am going through have a navigational device, and that navigational device is you. And I'll say it again. If this thing goes down, Jesus is my flotation device. I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it First Peter chapter 5, verse 10. But may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, after you've suffered a while. Somebody like, don't say it again. Please don't say it again. After you suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Some of us want to be perfected without any of those prior things. What is the prior thing? Well, after you struggle, after you suffered a while, I don't want to suffer. Then don't be established. But, but I, I, I don't want to suffer. It just doesn't. It doesn't fit right on me. Well, then don't be strengthened. The word says after you've suffered a while, there's going to be some things that happen. And when you're walking through a time of suffering, I want to remind you, if you are in a time of suffering right now, you don't have to raise up your hand. Just raise up your heart before the Father. If you are in a time of suffering right now, I will also say this. If it's caused by you yourself or if it's allowed by God, I want to tell you right now that there's something being perfected in you if you'll open up your heart. If you, are, if you are in the storm of storms in your life, I want to preach to you this morning. If it is by your own cause or it is something that the Lord is allowing, I want to let you know not only are you being perfected, but God is going to establish you. How many of you need some establishment in your life? You're walking through the storm of storms in your life. It doesn't make sense. It's another trip around the mountain. You're tired of it. It might be your own doing or it might be something the Lord has allowed in your life. If you will open your heart and get back to theory, classroom, let him move you to the lab and through the categories, I'm going to tell you there is a strength that is coming upon your spirit and upon your frame. Have you ever cried till you couldn't see? Yeah, if you're walking in that moment of suffering, if you're walking in that moment where it's like, God, I, I don't even know if God could catch any more tears in the bottle because I don't have any more to cry. I want to remind you this morning that settling is a byproduct of suffering. Why is the church trying to pray off the thing that sometimes we need to walk through? And I'm not saying that we do not need to be people of prayer. I'm not saying that when we have sickness, we don't call for the elders of the church. I am saying that sometimes we're going to walk through some things that we don't understand. And it is in that suffering that God is perfecting, establishing, strengthening, and settling. Can the church shout amen this morning? Maybe you've been in this situation before. Let me say this first. Part of our eternal calling as mankind, men and women, that if we are to live in the realms of everlasting glory... I'm so excited about that day. I am so excited. Um, I was sharing with somebody at work last week. Wouldn't it be cool when, when we can sit down, and I don't know exactly what heaven will look like, but wouldn't it be cool? This is my view. Wouldn't it be cool when we can sit down for 10,000 upon 10,000 years and talk about the great work the Father did on earth, and it will just be as one, one day? Who knows your problem's going to go away? It's going to go away. It may seem gigantic right now. There are some of you that have walked through some things. Ten years ago, you were in your greatest battle. Today, it would be a mere wind gust. Because God's growing some things in you. You've been in this situation before. I'm getting ready to close. Little Johnny's at the store throwing a temper tantrum. I know it's not your kid or grandkid. It's little Johnny. If, If your grandkid or kid is little Johnny, not your little Johnny, another little Johnny. You know what I'm talking about. And they're throwing, and you'll hear the dad come over, squeeze, settle down, boy. You'll hear a lot of, settle down, or we're going to the car. Kid gets louder. Settle down, or when we get home, kid gets louder. You ever seen that there's nothing that can settle little Johnny? Now, some of us have some opinions on what could settle little Johnny. I, I understand that here in Jefferson County. I get it. In a good old USA show me state. 
I'll show you, boy. <laughs> you grew up in my generation. Yeah, I, I get it. <laughs> Suffering has great potential in settling. If I'll walk through the suffering, then God can settle. Don't jump ship. If I can navigate when, when the ship is rocking from direction to direction, I, I think God's asleep. I've prayed. I've cr- I can't cry tears anymore, Pastor. I've done everything I can do. I've tithed. I've, sang the, I've done everything that I could do. But it still seems like I will endure the storm. If you don't know anything else to do, stay in the storm. If you, if, if it's like, I got, I don't, the situation's not changed. I done, I've done everything. I've come to you and just, just endure. Blessed is he who endures until the what? Until the end. Second Corinthians 1, 5 through 7, last verse. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation often abounds through Christ. So my suffering abounds where the consolation is, which is in Christ. This is, a, this is a series right here. Now, if we are afflicted and the church shouted, amen, especially if you've been walking through some stuff, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, who likes that side of the coin? It is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that you are partakers of the sufferings. Let me stop right here. Why was their hope steadfast, unmovable, unshakable? The wind couldn't blow it away. Concrete, a lot of words describe this. Because we know that you're partakers of the suffering. That's why we're steadfast. So also, you will partake of the consolation. I want to remind you this morning, if you will partake of the suffering, you will get the consolation. Notice briefly that they didn't say our hope is steadfast for you as we pray for the suffering to be removed. Nope. No prayer of removal of the suffering. But to be steadfast in the suffering. Paul knew it well. He would walk into places where things were very fat in life and he would walk into places where things were very lean. I think the one that would wreck ships for the sake of the gospel would would have some words to tell us. Amen had left the safety of the shore many times thrashes across his back flogged many times I I think he would have some stuff to tell us I just want to say this don't hope away all suffering don't don't because the thing that is transpiring in your life right now especially if it was by the invitation of Jesus could be the greatest blessing on the other side. Who's ready for the greatest blessing? It's not three steps of blessing today. We're living blessed. Where you might be, but some of you might be living dead center of your storm. And you need God's help. What do you do when you're dealing with an expectation lost? Let me give you four things. Under this heading. Because when we endure it, this is what we are signing up for. God, you are perfecting something in Brian right now. When we endure it, you are establishing something in the kitchen family right now, Lord. When we endure it, you are strengthening something in us that we don't get by doing. We only get by waiting on you. And as we wait upon you, you renew our strength. Who's thankful that the Lord didn't make a bunch of requirements for you to go get it? He just said, wait on me and I'll strengthen you. And then I end by this, if I can handle the perfecting, the establishment, the strengthening on the other side of the storm, there is a settling. And I'm not going to preach on this maybe at another time, but when Jesus gets to the other side, 
because our hope is we're in a storm, we get delivered from the storm and there's no storm. They get off the boat, they walk up the shore to the other side and they walk in and up to a man that is possessed with legions of demons. Brian, what happens? Like, what's the trophy? What's the trophy when I endure a storm? Is it 10 years strong free, storm free? What, what's the trophy when I go through all that and I'm perfected and established and strengthened and settled? Th- does that mean life is perfect now and I get to watch and pray over all the other stuff? Sometimes the trophy for walking through your greatest storm is another storm. Somebody shout, he's on the boat. And if he is on the boat and you've just graduated one and you've just walked up the beach and you're in the city of another one, I want to tell you the Lord wants to help you. The Lord wants to equip you.